0: presence of the Lord is in this place, it's great to be in a place where bullets don't fly overhead and police don't come bounding through the door to arrest us. There are places like that where you have to hide and meet in secret. But David said, how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And as we we, uh, think about the book of Acts and what we're doing today, uh, we're going to look at that unity that God wants us to all enjoy. And let me just say, as I, as I begin, I, I know that God has done a work in you long before I came here. And that uh, coming here, I know that uh, you guys do exemplify in many, many ways a maturity. A unity that's seldom found in a lot of other places. And so, as we get into uh, uh, this morning's sermon, we're going to find again uh, another group of people that are growing in this awareness as we understand uh, there it is, as we understand that God is doing a special work here in this place. And if you're not here to look at who uh, Jesus is, and you're not here to understand how he is at work in your life and others' lives, then uh, then we're going to miss something. We'll just be a social group. And there are many social groups that would fit that bill, but we're, we don't want to be like that. So, And let me get this going here. So as we get into the book of Acts... As we get into the book of Acts, I want to say, like last week, uh, there was one main theme that we're going to get into, and that's the fact that the Spirit of God is doing something unusual in our, in our midst. And what he's doing is he's doing what we talked about in Ephesians. The last time when we were th- through the book of Ephesians, you will recall that God is doing something to integrate the heaven and earth, the cosmos. God is doing something to put the church back together, to put the cosmos back together, but we are a peculiar people. We are a forgiven people. We are a forgiving people. And therefore, as we grow in the experience of, of, of knowing Christ better, we become identified as a different kind of community. And as we get into the book of Acts, what we're going to see is that God is at work with a group of people. He spent three years training, saying the kingdom of God is among you. And teaching is not about the temple system. Teaching is not about the Torah. Teaching is not about the rules or, or, or an experience. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, you are here. And because of Jesus Christ, your brother and sister are, are here. And therefore, you are called into a fellowship that God wants you to enjoy. And that fellowship is a good, good fellowship. Uh, but if you don't know Christ, you'll, you won't understand what's going on on the inside. So I want to go back into the book of Acts. And as we get into the book of Acts, I want you to put yourself in, in the uh, minds of the disciples and as they think about how they had to learn as a fellowship. Now remember, they weren't educated people. They didn't go through the rabbinical system. This is the average, average guy that's learning how to follow Christ. And he doesn't have a Bible. And they don't even have a church yet. They don't have a music worship teams. They don't, they're just barely starting off. And uh, I can't get this one going. Let's see I'm going to ask Bob to help me with this on the screen. So, but as you understand, this group was the first time they had ever had... Well, there, I'm up there, I'm up down here. Uh, this is the, time, the the first time that the Lord has really introduced into, into Israel a whole new scenario to fulfill the promises that he had promised long ago. And so one of the first things we want to get into <clears throat> is to understand the differences the differences that were um, going on at that time. And so let me just explain it to you, and we'll get into the slides in a moment. Last week I mentioned that there were three groups of people. Remember what the groups were? The groups were one, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes and this they put yourself back into time to think about this group uh, as you read the scriptures you won't you won't feel the tension that must have been going on there there was a lot of tension because this the sanhedrin that Jesus encountered would be the same sanhedrin that the apostles would encounter and the differences that that were in that Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was made up of the Sadducees who were the intellectual elites. They were the leaders, the the part of the uh, magisterial Supreme Court if you if you would say it'd be like that. But they were secularists uh, to the point that they did not believe in the Holy Spirit They did not believe in eternal life. They did not believe, thank you. They did not believe in the things that the other party believed in. And therefore, it was the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. The Sadducees were the dominant party in the Sanhedrin. And therefore, they had an influence over the rule and one of the things that you'll find is that there was a difference, there was a division in that, in that sanhedrin that there was a tension, there's a political tension. But, but as you get into the tension, you begin to realize that those differences uh, created a diversity that was a split. And when you had that diversity that splits, you have opposition parties. And and uh, you're gonna find, you're gonna find that there's a, a, always an argument going on, but that's not what we're about. What we understand, mentioned the Myers-Briggs, is that we understand that God is passionate about differences, and he's and he's so uh, I, it, you I can't get this out to you to understand how much creativity that God has put in on the differences, that he's made every tribe and every nation so different that if you don't understand and appreciate the differences, if you can't respect the differences, you estimate the power of God to do the work in the church. The book of Revelation ends with these differences. The differences was uh, as as John stood before the throne, he says, Before me there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne. And all these differences all had one thing in common. They all had on white robes, which meant that they were all saved by Jesus Christ. They belonged to this tribe of Jesus Christ. And yet every tribe and every nation, but from Revelation way back from the very beginning to." Genesis, when God made man and woman, he made a difference in their genders because the differences reflect God in a different way. differences in the genes determine your gender. And as we know, that for the X chromosome, there are 155 million bases for that XX chromosome. X chromosome and only 55 million bases for the Y the point the point is no matter what the differences are everybody has a story we have a genetic fingerprint but you are supposed to be different because God wants you different there's only one of you walking on the face of the earth and only one of you will only God only wanted one of you so he didn't make two But these differences are his design, whether it's culture, language, personality, gender. God wanted people to enjoy the differences because differences enrich. Differences strengthen. The sun has one kind of splendor and the moon another, says Paul, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. Just as you differ from the person sitting next to you in splendor. Well, the Lord loved diversity. Uh, We are his playground. We are his workmanship. And yet he wants that diversity to come together because he's also enthralled with unity. The Trinity. If you believe in the Trinity, you believe in a God of unity, diversity in community, harmony in cooperation, in communion. This is the Lord himself, and no other religion on earth has this relational harmony going on in the Godhead. So much so, that when Jesus right before he prayed, this was a, an intense value for him, because Jesus would pray in the high priestly prayer. My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray for those at chesterlin Baptist Church. Put your name in there. I pray for those who will Believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The way Jesus related to the Father is the way you are to relate to the Father. And that's what, that's what he was saying, that there's differences together for the sake of the body. And Paul brings this up in in, uh, Romans. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's teaching, serving, whatever. But you are different. But you're not divided. And yet in the book of Ephesians, as I mentioned, And I won't go into this. You remember how God is trying to bring us all together. God is trying to get us all on the same page. God wants us to have the same mind, to be in the same accord. And you are. This group is. But there are a number of groups aren't. And that for that reason, I keep saying before, before all of us, that our focus here at this church is to be a kingdom community, a Christian community that reflects Jesus Christ in a very personal way, in a very relational way. And therefore, our basis of unity is not agreement. For the sake of agreement, our basis of unity is our connection to Jesus Christ. And He becomes the basis of our unity. His purpose becomes the basis of our unity. And therefore, we understand That under Christ, we are united. We understand that as a country, we are one nation under God. And what's the next word? Indivisible. Even our forefathers knew that it was imperative for people to be solid, cohesive, uh, cooperative, connected, one accord. And we see that, except, I want you to know, That this doesn't always happen because this isn't one of the values that a lot of people have. And there's an enemy because there are differences that will divide. And there are people who don't who don't want to get along. And therefore we are at a point in time in our history, are we not? That when you look, when you just look around you, you look at our government and you see that there's something happening that's trying to split our government. It's happening to split our marriages. It's happening to split our country. It's happening to split our souls. And therefore, there is an enemy that wants to destroy. And Satan would love to do that in this church. Not that he is here doing that. Not that I'm really concerned about that because I don't see that happening. But I just need you to know that when there's differences without Christ, you're going to have tension without grace. But this church divided against itself. uh, Division is Satan's idea. He doesn't want you to get along. And therefore, where there are differences and there's no unity, there's damage. And therefore, we, we understand and we seek the Lord. And I pray for us, and I try to, as a pastor, watch out because... My job is to make sure we're getting aligned with God's purposes. But it was Abraham Lincoln, you know, who said this House divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure, permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved, and I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided if it will become one thing or all the other. Our focus is to be aware of the fact that there can be cracks in any culture if you don't have the Spirit of God there, whether it's immorality or insecure leaders or immaturity or iniquity. But I want you to know this. We know that it is good to be in unity with the Lord, but disunity God hates God is disturbed when people divide, and therefore there are six things the Lord has one word um, uh, that there are seven that are detestable to Him: haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. God hates people who are divisive. And therefore, notice, this is not about doctrine so much as it is about character and relationships. And therefore, in the book of Acts, as we get into chapter five, you're going to find this tension coming up. But how do you deal with that tension? You see how God deals with it by putting us back into a relationship with Christ, and you deal with this through the work of the Holy Spirit. John said, John, baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. And for that reason, when you find a church that's growing, know the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a different kind of community that's focused on Christ. Let me go back to the last week. I mentioned that there, there, there were these three communities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. I lied to you. There's one more. <laughs> there the Zealots. The Zealots were another group that were around. They were revolutionaries. To add to... Uh, those other three, the zealots wanted change because they wanted to be in control and get rid of all the impurity, the corruption, the the things that were uh, destroying people's lives, depression. But Simon the Zealot, the most famous zealot, was called by Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Simon, come, follow me. Now, if you know anything about the zealots, they were revolutionaries, and they would hide knives in their tunics. And it wouldn't be anything for them in the middle of the, of the street to run up to somebody and get them and, and let them bleed out. But these were the zealots who were not. They were radical. They were violent. They were going to take the law into their own hands. They, they were vigilantes. And yet Jesus said to Simon, follow me. There was another man that Jesus called. Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew sold out to the government. Matthew would be a man that was not allowed in the temple because he was not to be trusted because he was a tax gatherer. They weren't wanted in the temple. And no doubt in my mind that if Simon the Zealot ever met Matthew, he would stab him and kill him. And yet Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. Now can you imagine this? These two men, opposite ends, being brought together in fellowship, their agreement, disagreements weren't the focus. Jesus was. Same for Nicodemus. We know that he was a a, a Pharisee, that Jesus said, you must be born again. Because if there's going to be any harmony anywhere, it's going to be on the basis of the fact that my spirit is at work. And therefore, the Sadducees wanted control The Pharisees wanted conformity. The Essenes wanted commitment. But the zealots wanted to cleanse the whole thing and start all over. These groups uh, were really in tension. They were not in harmony. And therefore, you understand that the apostles, when they met those leaders, they wanted the uh, power struggles, those leaders who were threatened. But the uh, uh, Pharisees, They weren't concerned about power as much as they were concerned about popularity. They wanted to be approved by men and they sought the favor of men. The Essenes, they wanted to leave behind the social religion and they wanted to be progressive in the sense that they wanted to be spiritual through and through and they were committed to them, uh, their disciplines as, as ascetics, believers. But those apostles, and when the Zealots got together with the apostles—they probably saw you guys are doing something radical. I just need to be more informed. And so they—they they liked. They, they must have attracted, again, at least Simon the Zealot. But here's what I want you to hear: in the book of Acts, and I want you to get this drumbeat, because what God is doing in this tense, divisive, argumentative, threatening—God is creating a community of the kingdom. God is going to show through the book of Acts how kingdom people live, not by rules, not by war, not by some uh, in in a monastery, but there will be differences, but the differences won't be threatening because this flesh-driven group versus a spirit-driven group, those are distinctions that God's going to work on And God can work on the flesh and bring it into the Spirit. People who are dead become alive in Christ. And therefore, the question I want you to understand is this. How does the Holy Spirit work with believers? And how does he work with unbelievers? That's the key question. Because you need to understand, church, that before we come, before we were here, The Spirit of God has already been doing the work. He's always ahead of us. He's always ahead of us. Now, with those four groups, the question is this. What does the Spirit of God do in the heart of a a Sadducee to relinquish control? What does the Spirit of God have to do in the heart of a Pharisee who's more man-pleasing, to be God-centered? What does the Holy Spirit have to do in in one who's seeking a spiritual experience but has a spirituality that's not Christ-centered? What does the Holy Spirit do with a radical, radical revolutionary like Simon? What would it take to bring all those four groups together into harmony? You'll see this theme being played out because in the book of Acts, in particular, when the Spirit of God is poured out upon all flesh, the Jews and the Gentiles will be brought together into harmony. So what do they need? First of, first of all, they need to have a faith. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In the first passages, everybody has got to come to Christ. If don't come to Christ then you won't be able to understand how the Spirit has done something for each and every one. If you don't have the Spirit in you, then you are a cultural Christian. You may be a cultural, religious-bound person. You need to understand that you're not in the kingdom until you are saved through Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The God of our ancestor raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, Sadducees, whom you killed, Pharisees, whom you killed, uh, Zealots. And God created him to be his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel, now underline that, to repentance and forgive their sins. And then Luke says this, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit. So it's not just us doing things, we're doing things in tandem with what God is doing. And when they heard this, they were furious. They were cut to the quick, enraged. They wanted to kill them. This is the first time that the Sanhedrin, besides Christ, were going to attack the Christians. Because differences threatened them. Then here's your man, Gamaliel. Anybody know about Gamaliel. This is Paul's teacher. This is the one who's going to train Saul the persecutor. He was a Pharisee. And he was the son of Simeon, Ben Hillel, grandson of the great Jewish teacher, Hillel the Elder. And when he stood up, he heard that that they were going to attack the apostles. He says, just a minute, just a minute. And Gamaliel said, do you remember this guy Theodosus? This was a no-name man but he was able to influence people. He was he was in a sect or a cult but he raised up 400 men and he went out and attacked uh, the Romans and so they were the ones that were destroyed and defeated and nothing came of that movement. Why? Because it was done in the flesh. It's a human endeavor. Judas likewise tried to get a group of people off but they didn't have Christ. Now, what just happened? When Gamaliel stood up and he spoke, he says, you guys, if you don't realize that that God, God is at work here, therefore don't attack these men, but let them go. Don't lay your hands on them, because God is going to, if you do, you may be fighting against the Lord. Now, what you may not read in the text, but I certainly believe it's in the text, is that the Holy Spirit protected Peter and John and the apostles at that point by sending, this non, uh, by sending Gamaliel and saying, hold on just a minute. There was a potential riot that was prevented and murder that day because Gamaliel knew that these guys were different, but they were going to fade, uh, fade away probably. Even so, the Sanhedrin had them flogged, And they went out. Notice, when they were united, they were united by the Holy Spirit. And they became not only indivisible, but they became invincible. And therefore, for us, as we understand that their attitude was, In this you greatly rejoice, said Peter, that even though now for a little time you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come that the proven genuineness of your faith Greater, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, it may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. These were God's men. These were Jesus' men. And therefore, as Christ suffered in the body, so would his followers. Pain wouldn't divide. Pressure wouldn't divide. Problems wouldn't divide. Why? Because the people knew what Jesus had said. There's something greater than the temple here. There's something greater than these leaders here. There's something greater than, than any cause that people would get involved. It was the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul will go on to say that you are the temple. And in you, the Spirit of God dwells. Let me just close this. There are lots of temples around but it's not the place of power. It's not those who are in power, but those who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I'll conclude with this. When the church of God, who has all this diversity, are brought together in the unity of Christ, we say it's not by our might, it's not by our personalities, it's not by our education, it's not by our commitment, it's not by anything that we do, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. And therefore, as we move out, we need to learn how to listen, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen to people who are different. But we need to listen, and we need to And yet, that's the same Holy Spirit that's doing that work in the book of Acts. And as you get into the book of Acts, as you read, pay attention to how God's Spirit is at work in each in every individual. Let me stop here. Uh, buckle your seatbelts. You're going to go into chapter 6 next week, and uh, Stephen, you're going to find this tension. Look at Stephen's heart and attitude as he responds to these things. Look at him as you go through all of these chapters, and you'll see the same thing God wants to do in you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are at work Thank you that you are on the move. And thank you that you are sovereignly protecting your people. And I particularly say, Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the oneness that we enjoy. Thank you for the appreciation of differences. And thank you that you do bring about a peace and unity here. For that we give you the glory. For that we give you the thanks and say, Father, would you help us extend this out? That we would... uh, strengthen our pegs and lengthen our ropes that we would spread abroad to the right and to the left that you would bring in people who yet to know Christ Jesus as Lord. Again Father thank you and we give you the rest of the day we pray in Jesus name. Amen.